Read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. Well, it's hard to believe that another election year is well underway, and voting by mail ballots are already available for the upcoming March 5th North Carolina primary. And in case you hadn't heard, some new law changes will make voting, both by mail and in person, a little different this year. Not only will voters need a photo ID, both to vote by mail and in person, but other changes will impact the due date for getting mail-in ballots returned, the access to polling places that partisan observers enjoy, and in some counties, whether your signature will be reviewed. Fortunately, the folks running our elections remain among the nation's best, and as I learned in a recent extended conversation with State Board of Elections Executive Director Karen Brinson-Bell, optimistic that they can make the new laws work fairly and efficiently. Well, Karen Brinson-Bell, welcome back to News and Views. Thanks so much for being back with us. Glad to be back. Thank you. Early voting begins in just a matter of days for the 2024 primaries. Set the stage for us. What are some of the things voters should know to be ready for this? Because it's a little different than it's been in the past. Yeah, I think folks are beginning to wake up out of their holiday slumber and, and realize that it's 2024. But for election officials, one, we've been working on this since the last presidential election. But really, you know, when we have candidate filing taking place, you know, the first two weeks of December, that's a wake up call for us. If there's not one before then, at that point, you know, it's game on and we start the ballot creation, ballot proofing. And the big push is to make sure that we meet the federal deadline for absentee by mail ballots to be out January 19th. And then everything from there is just to be ready for early voting to start mid February. And then, of course, March 5th is just right around the corner for the Super Tuesday primary and a lot of spotlight for North Carolina this year. As I think about it here, there must be scores and scores of different kinds of ballots that have to be prepared for an election in North Carolina. Do you have any idea how many there are, how many different ballots that must be Different, you know, what I'm talking about, different kinds of right. ballots based on different ballot styles. That's what we yeah. reference. And, you know, we're in the thousands because right. we do have Republican, Democrat and Libertarian yeah. primaries. There are not primaries for the no labels or Green Party at this point yeah. for various reasons. But, you know, when you've got three that have primaries and those are statewide, that means that that's an increased number of ballot styles. So for every precinct that exists, you have a ballot style and in a primary you're going to have three different ballot styles in most cases. You're going to have also the potential for a nonpartisan. So that would be someone who isn't affiliated with a political party and chooses to not select one of their ballots, but they may have something, you know, local that's nonpartisan that they want to participate in. And then we have 17-year-olds who can participate in the primary if they'll be 18 by the general election. So if a, a county has an election on the primary ballot, then that has to generate a different ballot for the 17-year-old because they can't participate in an election until they're 18. I don't even know how you keep track of it, much less print them all, distribute them all. It's it's just a remarkable task. It's a very tedious and meticulous process, and we have a wonderful proofing team, not only at the county level, but the state level. There's multiple layers that happen so that we can make sure we don't have an error in that area of things. Now, one really big change this year, of course, is the requirement where after fits and starts through the years, we're going to have a requirement that every voter have a photo ID. 
state had a trial run for this for a handful of municipal elections last year. What's the take? Did it go okay? Or was there any confusion? What do you think is going to happen now? We did have a photo ID in place for the municipal elections. But of course, you know, only people who live within a municipality can participate in those elections. And sadly, we often see low turnout. Now, you know, there were a few peaks and, and so forth, but uh, all in all, you know, that's a, that's a small group of voters to, you know, roll that out with. And we also keep in mind that, you know, often our municipal voters are some of the most civically engaged. So when you have that, you know, you have to kind of just make sure that what we're preparing for now um, is a broader group of voters and so forth. So what we really feel like we gained from um, having photo ID during the municipal elections is not necessarily a gauge of, of how well the voters understand that. We're going to do a lot of outreach and education to make sure that, you know, all 7.3 plus million voters in North Carolina are knowledgeable. But the municipal elections really gave us a chance for our precinct officials, our early voting workers, our county election staff and board members to really understand the photo ID process and for us to fine tune that as, as needed. We hope very much that all the kinks have been worked out. They're unavoidable. There's always a few of them, but we hope that'll go smoothly. Um, we've talked about voting by mail about to get underway. Uh, obviously, for North Carolinians who like the convenience of voting by mail, the absentee ballot portal is, I guess, now open for the March primary. And uh, while uh, county boards of elections will be fulfilling those requests, I imagine you'd really like people not to procrastinate in getting in their requests. And if they're going to vote this way, to not wait around too long. You're so right. Our portal is open. So if anyone wants to make that request for an absentee ballot, there's a really easy way to do it through our website, ncsbe.gov. And that just is a a really, like I said, an easy process, a very user-friendly, voter-friendly way. They can still complete a form and and send that into their county board of elections. But that portal has been a real success. And when we sent out our press release and and let the folks know that just in that 24 hour period, we had already reached uh, right around a thousand requests. So we know it's still going to be a popular method of voting. We saw a dramatic increase in 2020 with the pandemic, but it continued to be at higher rates in 2022 than what we had seen in previous midterms. So what we really want folks to know, if they choose to vote absentee by mail, we're still dependent upon the mail service. And the U.S. Postal Service reminds us that people really need to plan ahead. The law says that we can take requests up until February the 27th, but you know, we then have to get that request, turn the ballot back around to the voter, and then they have to get it returned to us by 7.30 p.m. on election day. That is new. So we really want to emphasize that for voters is that the law has changed about the return deadline. The county board of elections must receive a voter's absentee by mail ballot by 7.30 p.m. on election day in order for it to be counted. So, yeah, even if it were postmarked on March 1st, if the mail service doesn't get it in there till March 6th, you're out of luck. It doesn't. That's count, right. right. It's, it's no longer about the postmark date. It is about the receipt date now. And, and the other key thing is that, um, you, you know, we've already talked about photo ID being in place and that requirement is there for absentee by mail voters as well. So voters who choose that voting method are asked to provide a copy of an acceptable form of voter ID, of photo ID. And if they can't, then there is an acceptable 
exception form for absentee voters as well. So, you know, if someone can't make a copy of their ID, then they can indicate that on the exception form. But that is still that is now a requirement in addition to the two witnesses or a notary signature in addition to the voter signature. So an additional requirement before you submit your absentee ballot and then that deadline change uh, that's really critical. 7.30 p.m. on Election Day must be received. So most people, we hope, who do have a driver's license literally could make a copy of it on their home printer, if that's a possibility, and include that when they send in their, their mail-in ballot. That's right. We just need driver's license is what most folks are going to use, but there are other acceptable right. forms of ID, passport, there's tribal IDs, there's uh, student IDs that have been approved. So, you know, again, more information um, about all those options on our state board website, ncsbe.gov. And if it pertains to voter ID specifically, then forward slash voter ID. But yes, they just need to make a legible copy of that ID that they, you know, that they have that, that it's approved or indicate on the form that's provided to them um, that they have an exception of why they can't. And a lot of local boards are making it easy for people to come in and get an ID if they don't have one, right? You can come get a free photo ID now at a local board of elections. Am I right about that? That's right. That is part of North Carolina's voter ID law is that uh, there are free IDs available through DMV. And then also they can go into their county board of elections and have a voter ID generated for them. I actually have a, an example at my desk when we were trying to <laughs> identify George Clooney is not a registered voter in North Carolina, but uh, the the development staff humored us. <laughs> That's a good one. We'll have to put that up on our website. We're talking with Karen Brinson-Bell, who, of course, is the executive director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections. Uh, we're talking about the impending March 5th primary and elections in general in North Carolina. What if I requested an absentee ballot and then decided I wanted to vote in person instead? What would that be a problem? Like I re- get it and I go, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to get this back in time. Can I go vote in person? Yes, that is definitely an option for voters. Um, and we we see that, you know, people don't know what their circumstances are going to be. So they request the absentee ballot, but then decide for whatever reason, um, the timing or or that's just not the method they want to use any longer. They can discard that and then go to an early voting site in their county, uh, which early voting starts February the 15th and goes until that Saturday, March the 2nd, just before the election, or they can go to their election day voting site. And so that thing that came in the mail, that package that came in the mail could literally just be tossed. You don't have to like bring it back and say, hey, I've changed my mind or something like that. That's right. We have record of everyone that requests an absentee ballot. And when they do so, they're providing identifiable information that makes sure that we've got the right voter and and so forth. So um, we update our check-in system um, before they check in and at in-person voting as well. So we know if that ballot's been cast. If for some reason there's a an overlap, um, and let's say they go and vote early voting on that last Saturday and then right. just, you know, in case, just in case but we haven't received that absentee ballot, then once it's received, we're going to cancel that ballot. We will not process that. Um, We'll count that in-person early voting. If we've received their absentee ballot before they vote in person, then that gets marked in our system and they will not be issued a ballot. If we think there's some sort of confusion, then the voter would be given the opportunity to vote provisionally and we can research that. But we are not going to be counting ballots twice. I want to reassure folks of that. 
The State Board of Elections recently approved 10 counties that will participate in a mail ballot signature matching pilot. This is another, this has been a bit of a controversial issue as to whether what people's signatures look like and they change over time, but this will be part of, at least in 10 counties, talk to us about how this is going to be executed and how it'll work and maybe how these counties got selected. This pilot program is just that. It is a pilot. It is not going to factor into whether the absentee ballots count in these 10 counties. Um, so we randomly selected. There was some criteria put into the law. Um, and, of course, all of this went in effect in part with the budget because there is some funding around the software and the equipment needed for these pilot counties. It's a quick turnaround to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, it is something that we will simulate post-election because we don't want there to be any chance that this pilot program would influence whether an absentee ballot is accepted or rejected. What the legislature has asked us to do is to look at counties that are population diverse, geographically Mm -hmm. diverse, and just demographically diverse. And so that's how we based our random selection and came up with 10 counties across the state of varying sizes. And they're going to have software and equipment that post uh, primary day, we will simulate running those return envelopes through that software system. And that system will be able to determine, you know, is there a match? And if not, it will sort. And then we would have a manual process. And so we're working on that guidance for the counties. Um, obviously, we've not had signature matching in the past. So we even need some, you know, what are the guardrails of how that's handled? But we'll simulate that and then produce a report to the legislature by May 1 about the accuracy. Um, of the software. We're in a process right now of trying to get a a bid completed so that we even know what vendor we're working with and make that compatible with our state election information management system where the signatures are stored. So if I happen to live in, I know, oh, I heard my county is one of those counties. And gosh, you know, when I registered to vote 40 years ago, my signature looked a little different than it looks today. You don't have to worry about that for now. You even if just go ahead and vote like you normally would, cast your, your, your mail-in ballot, and y'all will figure out how this is working and do an analysis of it. It's not like anybody's ballot is not going to be counted because of what their signature looks like right now. That's exactly right. So I just really want to reassure the voters in those 10 counties, which span from Cherokee to Pamlico, <laughs> um, they're throughout the state. They are not going to be held to any different standard when the, at, when the County Board of Elections reviews their absentee ballot that will have been returned. All 100 counties will be using the same process in determining the acceptance or rejection of an absentee ballot. And that is that it has the voter's signature, the signature of two witnesses or a notary, and that additional requirement of photo ID or an exception form. And, of course, that we've met that deadline for return to the County Board of Elections by 7.30 p.m. Election Day. Coming up next, part two of my extended conversation with State Board of Elections Executive Director Karen Brinson-Bell. Don't go away. Read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. In part one of my special extended conversation with North Carolina Board of Elections Executive Director Karen Brinson-Bell, we discussed some of the important changes to voting and elections in our state that are being implemented for the March 5th primary. In part two, we delved into some of the broader election administration issues the state faces in our contentious modern era, including the dramatic turnover we're seeing in election officials and the need for more volunteers, a group our state refers to as democracy heroes, to help run our elections. 
Bell also explained how and when we count ballots in our state and why voters have every reason to remain confident that it will be done fairly and accurately. Another change that the legislature has required y'all to implement this year has to do with election observers, with actual partisan election observers having greater access to polling places. And some people think this is a great idea. Some people are a little concerned about it. Are there some rules that have been established that we know for what poll observers can and can't do and how close they can stand to you when you're, you know, you're in the voting booth and or at a voting machine? Yes. Yeah, I just want to reassure folks. We have had observers as part of our election process for decades. Um, when I was county election director, I, I handled this and just some of the provisions have changed. One, how the county boards are notified how the county boards approve those folks. Um, these are individuals that are identified by the political parties to observe what is taking place. They will wear a badge or a, an ID that indicates that that is their role because okay. you know it's still the precinct officials who are conducting the voting at our voting sites um, and who will be able to assist the voters. Observers are there for just that purpose. They have been given a little bit more leeway, but in some ways, you know, what's really happening and has given us the parameters to really define things more um, as well. And so our guidance to the county already indicates um, it had the support of the state board members. We've indicated that ballot secrecy is still of utmost concern. The observer is not going to get so close that they are going to be able to see how a voter is marking their ballot. You know, there's limitations on what conversations they can overhear, things of that nature. So while they do have a little more leeway, there have been things put in place that I think will actually help the process too. And ultimately that precinct official, those chief judges and judges and assistants are going to be maintaining order in the polling place and assuring that the voter is able to exercise their right to vote. Again, we're talking with Karen Brinson-Bell, who's the executive director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections. We've been talking a lot about the elections themselves, and that's obviously very important. But I also want to ask you some questions about the people who do this work. You know, last year there was a report nationally that found that one in 10 election officials will leave their jobs before this November's elections. And many are making that decision because of threats and harassment. And, you know, it's just a, it's a really thankless job. It takes special people to do it. I wonder if you've had to contend with any of that here in North Carolina and maybe what you're trying to do to respond to it. North Carolina has not been immune. I have to report that. Since January of 2019, we've been tracking the turnover because when I came in as state director in June 2019, I started realizing how many of these uh, approvals for director recommendations I was having to consider and sign off on. And so since January 2019, we've seen a change in county election directors for more than 50 counties, I believe. As of today, we're at 54. And more than 20, pushing 30 of these folks will have not been the director through a presidential election. So that tells you how much turnover we've seen since you know, November 2020. And that's significant. Now, fortunately for us, a lot of these new directors still have elections experience, but we do have a few. The director out in Swain County is in mm. his early 20s, wow. and he wanted to graduate before he took the job for his first wow. day at work. Um, but he's done well. And so you really what it's taken is making sure that we are well-trained, that we've got the support in place here at the State Board of Elections. Many of the folks who work at this agency have county-level experience themselves. So, you know, it really fortifies us 
as a strong team. We call ourselves Team 101 because there's 100 county boards of elections and one state board working together to make sure we can pull this off. But, you know, we we do spend a lot of time looking at our morale. We have huddles, and I try to be as motivational as I possibly can and just remind folks that we've got this. And as long as we lock arms and support each other, we can do this because we all have that same goal, and that's to deliver successful elections and make sure that voters are able to cast their ballot. But, you know, we do have to think about the fuel in our own fuel tanks, and that's what I've heard from so many of those folks who have retired or left the profession is that it just wasn't there. Um, we've been under a level of scrutiny that's just really taken its toll for many people. But I will say the criticism has been tough, but, you know, we really appreciate those folks who have made an extra point to thank us, too. And uh, that really resonates. And when you hear from someone who, because of some of the work we've done, some of the innovative ideas and, and extra initiatives and those extra long hours that we've put in place for things like the absentee portal, you know, we had an overseas citizen who wrote me the very first night um, <laughs> that that was available and said that she would not have been able to cast her ballot back in 2020 if we had not done that because there was no mail service where she was serving overseas. And that's the fuel in the fuel tank that keeps us going as well. And we see the impact that our profession has on um, the lives of so many. And in our case, 7.3 million registered voters. In the past elections, you've talked about the need for volunteers. We call them democracy heroes. Is that still the case in this uh, cycle? And can folks still volunteer or what, what should they Absolutely. do if they want to? Absolutely. Um, our Democracy Heroes campaign is still uh, alive and well. We have that uh, recruitment form on our state board website, ncsbe.gov. The counties still look for folks. That process has changed a little bit with our early voting um, in some of the legislation that was passed this past year. But nonetheless, there's still a, a considerable need. And um, I can't guarantee that if you express interest that we'll be able to hire you because some of it does depend on um, a certain number of folks affiliated with political parties, and so many North Carolinians are unaffiliated. But please, if you're interested, let us know. I will say that 2020 meant that some of our workers could not serve because they were in the vulnerable population. Our average poll worker is certainly over 60 in most cases, and that put them in, you know, that vulnerable population. But their grandchildren, their their daughters, their, you know, nieces and nephews stepped up and and were willing to serve. And then we saw some of those folks who had not been able to come back and they they missed it. But it's amazing, though. Folks don't realize how many people it takes to pull this off. And, you know, we're looking at like 25,000 people that will have wow. a need for to make elections happen in North Carolina, especially for the general election. That's so amazing. please, if you're interested, let us know. Democracy Heroes is the the spot on our state board website, and we then disseminate those interest forms to the the respective county that the person signed up for. We're coming to the end of our time with Karen Brinson-Bell, the Executive Director of the State Board of Elections. I have a couple final questions about sort of voting the, the day of and the day after. One is, what do you do if you think you had a problem on Election Day? What's your best advice for voters who may have some issues? And remind our listeners, what happens after the polls close? There was a lot of confusion in 2020 about ballots being tabulated afterwards. Why do we not know definitively who the winner is on election night? And and why that delay doesn't mean that an election was stolen, right? It's more about accuracy. So maybe walk us through the after process and what someone should do if they think they had a problem. 
So glad you're bringing this up. If anyone has an issue, you know, depending on what it is, if it's something at the polling place, then seek out that chief judge or one of those precinct officials that are working on that voting site uh, because they can assist you right then and there if it's something at that polling place. Um, if it's something more general that you've noticed or have a question about, you can always reach out to us on at ncsbe.gov or by calling the State Board of Elections or your County Board of Elections. And just depending on what the circumstances are. In terms of how these results come in and so forth, you know, it's it's nothing new. There, there's been a lot of questions because of 2020 and the pandemic, and that did change some things, but it is nothing new that on election night, those results are unofficial. And they are unofficial because what we're going to do as election professionals is to reconcile and audit. Our state law since 2006 has required a sample audit of the voting equipment to make sure it counted accurately. And we performed that during the 10-day canvas period for the county boards of elections. We are going to reconcile the number of ballots cast to the number of people who checked in and look at that. And then there's two things that have to be considered in terms of ballots. People may not, when they get to the voting place, they may not appear on the roll. They then get to vote a provisional ballot. And then we research, did something go wrong in their registration with DMV? Did we just have a typo in how their name was in the voter registration system? Things like that that may have to be considered and researched. And then those go before the county board members before they canvass or certify the election. And so there's that handful of ballots. And then nothing changed about the law that allows our military and overseas citizens to cast their absentee ballot. They do that by election day, but we need to receive it just, you know, it's nine days in their case. So mm-hmm. um, that means that those are still outstanding. And, you know, most of the time, you know, if, if there's a wide margin, then we know how many of those ballots we're expecting potentially, and we can kind of know whether there's a decided victor in that contest. But if it's close, then, which so many times in North Carolina, that's the case. That means, you know, until we have reconciled all of these and and met, you know, what the law allows through that certification process, we're not going to make those election results official until the county boards have done their job to certify and the state board has done its job. Well, listeners can hear that it's a gargantuan and heroic job that you all do and how lucky we are to have you, Karen, in charge of it. Uh, thank you for your service to the state and, and all the democracy heroes you recruit. And good luck through all this. We'll be rooting for you and paying real close attention. And um, perhaps we'll talk again later this year. Thanks so much. And we love it. And we just want people to go vote. Coming up next, a national researcher joins us to discuss who pays taxes in North Carolina and why it's good to be in the top 1%. Stay with us. 